Welcome to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. We have a special guest with us today, uh, someone who was with us last time and will be here for the next several podcasts. Uh, we're focusing our attention this time on the Innocence Project of Florida, and we have Seth Miller with us, who is the executive director of that organization, a group that I began working with back in 2009 and still uh, are connected. As a matter of fact, the project um, underwrites this podcast. So good to have you with us again, Seth. And uh, when we were uh, ending last time, we were talking, uh, just began to talk about the Innocence Network. Can you explain what that is and, and how they function? Yeah, so there are organizations like mine, the Innocence Project of Florida, in almost every state in the United States of America and now in many countries um, all over the world. And, you know, back in like 2001, 2002, around that time, we realized that we had, you know, common issues that we wanted to work on. This is the existing innocence organizations that were not specific to any place. Um, and and, it, and we're all friends and it really was necessary for the organizations that existed at that time to get together in a consortium to work on issues of uh, common concern and to really foster the growth of what was a new movement, right? To, to find individuals who were wrongfully convicted, free them and reform the criminal justice system to prevent wrongful convictions in the future. And so um, that was the genesis of the Innocence Network. It's a voluntary consortium that has uh, about 70 organizations now from both the United States and abroad. And um, we're all doing this work all over the world in different legal systems, but with the same issues. And um, I was really privileged to be the president of the Innocence Network from 2013, you know, 2013 or 2015 to 2020. And, um, and it was a great honor. Uh, you, you know, to, I respect and have so much admiration for uh, my colleagues who do this work all over the country, all over the world, some of them in much more complicated uh, legal circumstances than that which exists in the United States. And yet, um, I got to lead that group for five years. And, um, help grow the network, help strengthen the organizations that were in the network, help us become more of a, a cohesive group of people working uh, uh, on parallel tracks to accomplish, um, you know, big, uh, big accomplishments all over the world. And so um, it was a great honor um, to do that. And uh, but luckily for me now, I'm not the president anymore. So I can focus a little more on what I'm doing in my day job here at the Innocence Project of Florida and just kind of watch uh, my colleagues who are now leading the network uh, as they succeed um, in their endeavors. One thing um, you didn't mention that they do, the Innocence Network, is hold a conference just once a year. And when I was living in Florida in 2015, um, we attended that particular conference. Uh, it was in Orlando, so not too far from Sarasota. And I had the one of the most incredible experiences of my life. Uh, one, the morning uh, that the conference started, uh, we were heading to the elevator 
on our floor and two men walked out of a room right across the way and we greeted them. And I said, perhaps are you going to the Innocence Network? Because there were several conventions going on in the hotel at the same time. And one of the men said, yes, yes, we are. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I just got off death row. I've been on death row 30 years. And it was Anthony Ray Hinton. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What an experience. Yeah. I just could not believe. I, I had no words. I was really speechless. I just gave him a hug and we went down to the conference and I saw him, of course, many times over the weekend. So what an experience that is to meet people from all over that have been locked up, you know, very much like Mr. Hinton and uh, hear their stories. So Amazing. Harriet, let me just say too that uh, I'm glad you mentioned the conference because I, yeah. you know, lots of professionals go to conferences of, of all different kinds. But I think the thing that's unique about this conference is that all year long we operate in our own spaces, in our own jurisdictions, our own states, um, you know, fighting and fighting and fighting to get justice for our clients. And it is hard work. Um, oftentimes we lose, and um, some of our clients have to remain in prison where they'll die. And it is a, it sticks to you and it's like a terrible feeling um, to have the whole weight of the, the system um, being forced against you and your clients. Um, and, and sometimes it becomes too much, but the conference is an opportunity to get centered and get hooked back in and realize that you're part of this bigger thing. And then to see on the one night of the conference, there's this big dinner and they call up all the new individuals who got uh, innocent individuals got released that year to invite them into this fold of all the you know exonerated and freed people who are at the conference, and you have you know you know hundreds of people who are standing on the stage who have spent ten, you know tens of thousands of years wrongfully convicted and incarcerated combined, and it centers you. You realize this is why I'm doing this work. This is why I'm here. It was this is why we fight, and this is why we lose and we pick ourselves back up so we can um, succeed for our clients. And so it's very uh, reinvigorating and rejuvenating in that way. And so when we come back home, we can be clear eyed about our purpose and, uh, and move forward. And I think by the same token, it has to be, uh, there are no words to describe what the feelings are for the ones who are exonerees meeting others who had been right in their same shoes. That has to be an amazing experience. Yeah, it's it's so true because I do think that, you know, being a person who is incarcerated long-term, is it's bad no matter who you are. But being someone who's wrongfully incarcerated, it's very isolating. It's, it's additionally isolating um, in the sense that you feel like no one around you understands what you're going through. And even when folks get out, there's still a stigma attached, even when they're exonerated to having been in prison, so hard to get jobs. No, no one really understands the, the, with precision your experience. So I've heard over and over and over again when folks feel a little bit lost, but when they come to their first conference, they feel found. You know, They feel connected in that now they have this whole community of brothers and sisters from all different walks of life who accept them um, implicitly. Uh, and and now they have this whole big group of people they can lean on all year long who become their friends and their family um, to help them 
overcome what are inevitably the struggles of reintegration back into free society after wrongful incarceration. Yeah, it's almost when when it says innocence network, it's a network for those people too to call mm -hmm. someone and say, you know, I'm feeling discouraged and you were down this path before me. So it, it's just it's a remarkable, uh, you know, event. Uh, was it canceled because of COVID uh, the last couple of years? Yeah, we, um, you know, COVID happened in March of 2020 and we were set to have our conference. It was either like late March or early April, 2020. So that conference got canceled and then we decided not to have 2021. And so we had our first conference back in Phoenix, Arizona in April, 2022. And because of some contractual issues in order to not uh, be charged, you know, insane amounts of money, we are having it again in Phoenix in 2023. Oh. Uh, and um, so, you know, we'll be thrilled to get together. It was just amazing to, I mean, I, to the, I can't tell you, it was a different type of energy to come back after two years. People felt very isolated. Like we saw our colleagues on Zooms and, <laughs> and, you know, on, on these, you know, video conferencing services. And that was cool to see people's faces and hear their voices. But um, I just kept going around for the people who were into hugging. I, I kept <laughs> I kept saying to people, you know, uh, can I have a three-year hug? <laughs> and, 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 um, and because that's, for me, that's how it felt. Like we needed to, I felt like there was a lot of lost time and I, I, I you know, needed to have that kind of physical connection, um, reconnection with people. And uh, it was just a tremendous three days and, and really set us back on track. Oh, that's great. So since Innocence Project of Florida began, correct me if I'm wrong here, 21 men and women were released from prison. And what I wondered is, could you highlight some of the cases, particularly the ones from the last two years, which, you know, was those cases were particularly challenging due to the pandemic. So you had given me a list of uh, several people, and I wonder if you would want to talk about them um, I have the list in, in front of me, if you don't. Yeah, no, I, I do. And, uh, you know, again, I, 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 I think I um, said in a previous talk with you that we just, you know, redoubled our efforts because um, we knew that our clients were in an even more vulnerable situation um, with, the, with the courts mostly closed and being stuck in a box, um, in an enclosed area, in a place where the people don't really care about their well-being, that you know, we had to we had to really dig deep to try to get as many people out of prison as possible, and you know that kind of that kind of effort led to what was the greatest period of success in the history of our project, and it led to you know, at some highlights are we got our first two female clients right. out of prison and. Um, those were so I want to talk a little bit about them. I mean, Stephanie Virgin sure. and Amanda Brumfield. And what's so interesting about Stephanie and Amanda is that you know, we were already representing Amanda. This is back in like 2014, 2015. And she had told us that there's this other woman in that I'm in prison with here at Hernando Correctional who has a case that's not precisely like mine, but she's innocent too. And um can she reach out to you? And, and that was Stephanie Spurgeon. And so this whole time we had been litigating, fighting for both Amanda and Stephanie, and they had watched their cases kind of be in a race 
to the finish mm -hmm. line, right? And it was a lot of struggle because um, things were moving. We, we started Amanda's case first and things were moving and then they started moving more in Stephanie's case and that caused Amanda mm -hmm. to very much struggle with the idea of, of, of that. And, um, but as it turned out, they both got out of prison within two weeks of each other and, um, and <laughs> in, in August uh, or a month of each other, August and September, 2020. And their cases are inextricably linked because they're both um, victims of what is the leading cause of wrongful convictions in women, which is, um, you know, women are wrongfully convicted most often in cases where a child dies um, in their care because women disproportionately play role of, of caretakers of children as mothers, as nannies, as babysitters, as daycare um, workers, um, as uh, you know, medical care providers, um, you know, nurses and the like. And so um, in, in both the cases, uh, Stephanie being a um, uh, running a home, a very uh, reputable home daycare and Amanda babysitting for her goddaughter, both children experienced a medical situation, one, because they, in Stephanie's case, because they had an underlying medical condition that was undiagnosed. And in Amanda's case, because the child climbed out and fell on her head out of a playpen, in both instances caused a child to be in a dire situation. In both instances, the, child, the children tragically died. And instead of recognizing these were just two nor you know average women who were, had their own children and were loving mothers and cared for children all the time um they immediately decided that there was this was a criminal case and that there was some you know intentional infliction of abuse on these children even though there was no evidence of that and they rushed headlong into a criminal prosecution that was abetted by you know doctors and and medical care providers who um, really just charlatans who every time they see a child die, say it's abuse. And it led to them being wrongfully convicted and sentenced. Uh, one was sentenced to 15 years, one was sentenced to 20 years in prison. And it wasn't until we got involved in the case with some colleagues of ours around the country that we were able to unpack these cases with both medical and scientific evidence to show that in both instances, neither, neither person committed any intentional uh, act of abuse on these children. In fact, um, they just died as a result of either a tragic accident or an un underlying undiagnosed medical condition and that there was no crime at all. And, and so we were able to overturn both their convictions and they were released. Uh, Stephanie was released in August of uh, 2020 and Amanda was released shortly thereafter in September of 2020. And they were our first women who got out of prison for crime being committed. And how long did each of them serve actual time? They both spent just about eight and a half years in prison. Um, and so, uh, so long time. But I, I, I think it's worth mentioning to listeners that they themselves had children. And so, um, you know, Amanda's children were young and, you know, she lost contact with both of them and has only been able to reconnect with one of her children. She still does not have a relationship with one of her daughters. Um, who and they're both of her daughters are in their you know early to mid twenties. They're not you know very old now. And so and and Stephanie, um, you know both her children were teenagers, um, late teenagers, and um, you know she had great familial support, but she lost that time with her with with her kids. Um, it's a terrible thing. Not only did a child who who you know 
they love and care for die, but they were also taken away from their children. It's a, it's a, a double tragedy. It's a compounding of tragedy. And, um, you know, this is the, this is the problem with compounding tragedy when we, um, you know, run rush headlong into a wrongful conviction using um, scientific and medical evidence that's uh, disproven and junk. And I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Uh, it's worth repeating that the family is sentenced to. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, your relationships with your family members are lived through phone calls and letters and visits to the to the to the visitor yard at the the you know at the at the prison. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you the pictures that I see of my clients when they're in prison are the pictures in their blue jumpsuits, you know, in front of some mural that someone painted <laughs> with their children. And that's their only relationship. It's, it's, you know, Stephanie met her grandchildren, you know, through her daughter bringing them to the prison. Um, I, I don't think that people truly understand the, the, the toll, the additional toll, what it means for someone to be, um, removed from society and segregated to some prison in some rural area and disconnected from their family and society. Um, it's hard enough for someone who did commit the crime. It's, it's, it's doubly hard for um, someone who uh, did not. Yeah. And you can't understand it unless it's happening to you. Yeah. That's right. That's, That's right. True. Um, before we go too far, I also wanted to mention um as an aside, those people that you exonerated or released from prison during the pandemic, uh, they served a total of 167 years behind bars. I just want people to understand that. Um, so I wanted to um, mention a few things. Um, one, if people are interested in helping you with the work you do at the project, um, how could they best do that? And then I wanted you to talk about a, a fundraising event that's coming uh, probably not until uh, next, early next year, but we, we could mention it anyway. And also your website. So um, people can get more information about our project by visiting our website at www.floridainnocence.org. And that's all spelled out, all one word, Florida Innocence. I, I you know, I will tell them the same thing I told you, Harriet, uh, all those years ago, and and that is that because we are a freestanding nonprofit uh, law firm, um, you know, and we have to raise every penny that we need in order to provide high quality legal assistance to our clients and help them after they get out to, um, you know, overcome the struggles of uh, reintegration back into free society, and um, it is. It is not uh, an inexpensive endeavor. It's it, it's quite costly because we don't want to skimp on what our clients need and deserve in order to um, prove their innocence. Many of our clients receive inadequate legal assistance at the front end and have a very dim view of lawyers because of their experience. And so we want to make sure that we don't we don't leave any stone unturned that we don't you know, leave any arrow in our quiver in terms of what, you know, what resources we can bring to bear. And, and we've been very lucky to be able to raise lots of money over the course of years in order to um, 
give our clients the highest quality legal assistance. And, and that shows up in the results that we've been able to achieve for our clients. So I always say to people that, um, you know, a gift that is, you know, personally meaningful to you, whatever size that is, um, can go a long way um, to helping us uh, free our clients. You know, it's something that helps us get needed legal documents to review to decide whether we're going to take a case. It can be money that will go towards getting a DNA test or hiring an expert that's essential to freeing the innocent person. It helps our investigator um, you know, put gas in the car and and um, you know pay for other expenses associated with running around Florida and all over the country and even the world to find and speak to witnesses that are key to unlocking the truth in in our cases. And so um, every dollar is important. And so you can go to our website, floridainnocence.org, and uh, very easily find the donate button in the top right-hand corner to financially support our work. Like I told you, Harry, about all, all, all that time back then, um, having awareness events in your area to meet other people who share your concern for wrongful convictions is another way to do that. And we travel all around the state of Florida to meet people who want to fight injustice and help and connect them into our work. And so if folks are interested in putting on an awareness event so we can meet people, teach them about wrongful convictions, raise money in, in their area, Florida particularly, they can contact our office and our information is on the website. All right. And the um, the uh, comedy event that's coming in February, can you tell us just a little about that? Yeah, we had our last Stand Up for Innocence comedy series in February of 2020, oh. uh, right, right before everything shut down. And so we're thrilled to bring the, these events back. They're super fun. Um, you know, it's just all about being with people and enjoying, uh, you know, laughing and enjoying ourselves and they raise a lot of money to support our efforts to free wrongfully convicted people so we'll be having a three-night statewide comedy run um on february 9th through 11th of 2023 on february 9th we'll be at uh the friday morning musicale theater in tampa florida uh february 10th we'll be at the uh lake park lake park black box theater which is in palm beach county and february 11th we'll be at the theater in the american heritage school in plantation florida you know, and over those three events, we'll probably have, you know, 1,200 to 1,500 people uh, from those overall from those three different locales here, three comedians and support the work of the Innocence Project of Florida. So if people are interested, um, we'll be opening ticket sales uh, starting around December 1st. You can view that at our website. Um, and if you if people want to sponsor the event at a higher level and, and really um, invest in the work of freeing wrongfully convicted people, you can contact me at our office and we can tell you how to do that. Great. All right. So I wanted to give listeners a little sneak preview of our next couple of podcasts where Seth Miller will be here again. Um, their podcast that Seth told me about that I hadn't known anything about, and I'm trying to finish listening to the whole thing. It's got nine episodes. Um, it's called Bone Valley. Bone Valley, and it is focused on the case of Leo Schofield, a case I never knew anything about. It's an old one. He's been in prison now 30 years, correct? Yeah, more than 30 years. I mean, more than 30. Yeah, it was a 1987 case, and he was arrested um, around that time and went to prison. Okay. So he's been in prison for, you know, almost 35 years. Wow. 
So that is a fascinating uh, podcast, and it's narrated by Gilbert King, uh, who wrote um, uh, what is the Devil in the Devil Grove. in the Grove, which I love. Yeah. Yes, Devil in the, and he, he won the Pulitzer for that book. Um, it's sitting on my bookshelf. Another another book for the collection. So um, we'll talk a little bit about that and uh, some other key issues of the day that relate to wrongful conviction. And I'm delighted you were able to join us today. I know your time is so precious. Thank you so very much, Seth, for joining us on Pursuing Justice at Society Bites Radio, and I hope you'll join us next time. Thanks. For Thank listening. you. Thank you, Harriet. Thanks for listening to my podcast today. You have been listening to Pursuing Justice on Society Bites Radio, and I'm your host, Harriet.